Well, I'm up here again. <laughs> you know, I, I figured when I first called in, let me start this. When I first called in uh, the text that I was going to preach on this morning, I, I, uh, as soon as I walked in here, they were saying, what are you going to talk about with all these genealogies and all these names and all these Hebrew names in there? And I always tell people in, in my congregation that genealogies are really important, especially if your name's in them. So they're really, really important if your name's in them. But I'm going to navigate through this text, and I think I will be able to bless you if you just give me a chance to navigate what we're going to talk about this morning. Now, being a Reformed Southern Baptist, I'm kind of a minority voice in that circle. But being a minority voice is not all that bad, as you're going to see by the time we're finished with this message. And being from a Reformed perspective, I'm asked a lot about my view on predestination, an election. And I, and, and, and I say that biblical perspective is really not that hard to understand. Now, once you say that, people are looking at you like, come on, election, predestination. And I says, well, it's really not that hard to understand. And I kind of give them like a predestination for dummies. Here's what I tell them. Predestination for me means God was thinking about me way before I was thinking about him. I mean, and that is actually predestination, that God was thinking about you, if you are God's child, and me way before I was even thinking about God. I have a mission statement this morning as we navigate through God's holy writ, and that is to prove the first cry of the gospel, the, verse, the first need of the gospel theologically. And despite the fact that the gospel is diametrically opposed to the culture, how do we become, how do I become, elect voices to bring God's word in a world gone bad? I also have a vision statement this morning. I want us to capture, almost like a Greek participle, I want us to capture a biblical mindset that is not afraid to be countercultural. And, and, and that's important. And as we unpack this, I believe, very relevant, relevant text today in Genesis, we will see what I mean. And thirdly, I was adjured by Frank to speak a little bit about myself, for which I have some reservations, but I'll keep my covenant with Frank and, and speak a little bit about myself afterwards. Hopefully, hopefully, in all this, I can encourage you when you leave here to be challenged and to accept being a minority but elect voice in a world that is so in need of God. So in need of God. And I'm going to prove that to you by this text this morning. I also want to prove that I have a better accent than Frank. Did you ever call... Did you, did you ever call, I don't know if you got Frank's cell phone, but if you call him on his cell phone, he sounds like he wants to be like a narrator for the Sopranos or something, you know, and he just doesn't have the right accent for that, you know, but he tries to, but he just doesn't get there, so I'm going to prove that I have a better accent. Genesis 4, the gentleman did a great um, reading, the, the words are tough to navigate, um, thank God we don't name our children these names anymore, but, but these... Believe me, genealogies are very important in the Bible. I, I know that, you know, a lot of, nobody skips the genealogies, right, when they read them. Nobody, nobody's going to ever skip them. You read right through them. And so this is a very, very, very important 
text in the Bible. I, wanna, I want you to pay attention to what's going on here because I think you'll be challenged, you'll be encouraged, and hopefully I can bring some light here. Let me read it. Let me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read up to 24. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built the city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. So the name of the city was Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mehuyel, and Mehuyel fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of one was Adah, and the name of the other was Zillah. Adah bore Yabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Yubal, and he was the father of all of those who play on the lyre and the pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal Cain was Namah. Lemek had said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, you wives of Lemek. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. What the heck does that mean? Right? Just think about if you leave here today and you can call up your neighbor and say, open a Genesis 4, 17 to 24. I'm going to explain to you what that means. You're going to have a clear understanding of this text this morning and it's going to challenge you big time. I want for us to, for a second to focus on the arrogant voice of Lamech proclaiming, hear my voice. Take that and keep it in a watch pocket. That's an old New York saying. Just take it, put it in your watch pocket for a second. In the aftermath of the Kennedy assassination, you know, I'm, I'll show my age a little bit. The Kennedy assassination, in a grieving sense, was just as bad as 9-11 in those days. If anybody, I know you guys are younger than me. Not a lot younger, but younger. But in, 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 when Kennedy was killed, that was a, the whole world kind of stopped. Movements came out of that. Songs were written about it. And there wasn't all the, the, uh, the TV shows and, I'm, I'm sorry, the news programs we have today. You know, it was only like, I must have listened to Walter Cronkite like 65 times a day because that, we didn't have, you know, CNN and all those things in those days. But it was, a, it, was a, it was a sad day. And Paul Simon had written a song in the wake of that assass assassination. And the song's name was... Sound of Silence. All of, you, all of you guys are Simon and Garfunkel fans, right? Come on. Simon and Garfunkel. But anyway, I like Simon and Garfunkel. But, but Paul Simon had written a song, and the name of the song was Sound of Silence. It was a song about lack of communication. And he sang in meaningful words, In the naked light I saw, 10,000 people, maybe more, people talking without speaking. People hearing without listening. People writing songs that voices never share. And no one dared to disturb the sound of silence. It's like just people talking to move the air around. You ever meet people like that? They just love to talk. Man, that guy's got a Yankee. Oh, that's awesome right there. That guy's got a... Yeah, he's in the right house right there, man. 
He's got a Yankee jersey on. Perfect. Talking to move the air around. And what makes this song very interesting, Paul Simon declares that there's a message to be heard, and it's written on the subway walls and the tenement halls. In other words, beyond all this massive confusion, so many voices, there is something to hear. And believe it or not, this is the first song in the Bible by Lamech. This is the first song. Now listen to what this song is talking about. Murderous exploits. Demanding rights from God. If you protected Cain, my brother for murder, you're going to protect me. This is the first written song in the Bible. And it's all about Lamech. Isn't it? I mean, look at it. And it comes right after the world. Now hear this. Through the ungodly seed of Cain starts to flourish with cultural advances. Yabel became the first real estate tycoon, building tents, the first CEO as he commandeered the farming industry. Yubel was the first one to introduce the entertainment industry to this world. He had played instruments and started to perform. The metal industry was a startup business that produced weapons of warfare and other instruments of steel. This is associated to Tubal Cain. And then we have a self-proclaimed murderer singing about his exploits. And he's the first one in the Bible to demand his rights. Telling God he must protect him even more than his brother Cain. Genesis 4, the world has gone bad in Genesis 4. Ain't nothing changed but the zip code today. Ain't nothing changed today. I believe there are so many adherences to the technical growth, economic wealth, and an increased want for cutting-edge entertainment. Even crime is glorified today. George Zimmerman, Jody Arias, mob wives. Nobody watches that, right? But I'm saying even, even crime is glorified today. And this message is so vast, so loud, that, is, that it is drowning out the true message. As Paul Simon sings later in the song, the words of the prophets that are written on the subway walls. Being from Manhattan, I can relate sometimes to the reality of people's lives who in their deepest needs and wants write on subway walls and tenement halls. And I remembered a few in my life in New York. One I remember said, is life real? Wow, is life real? Another, I would like to say some good things, but I have nothing good to say. And then one of the most profound ones that I read, some people are so poor, all they have is money. I mean, think about that. Just think about that. Now, I want you to listen to the voice of Seth. Now, now here's the deal. I'm going to help you a little bit in the Hebrew here because, because I want you to see the first cry of the gospel. I want you to hear the discerning voice of Seth in a world gone bad. A very obscure text that is never really expounded on, but is the first cry of the gospel. Why? Because Seth is a voice of contrast. He's a true prophet writing on the subway halls, the tenement halls in Genesis. 
We have just read about this enormous growth as culture advances in music, metal, breeding, wealth, and technology, and enormous pride of Lamech in song. Why did God protect Cain? Why? To show you all this secular humanism that's breeding up right before our eyes in Genesis 4. Breeding up in the fourth chapter of Genesis. And then we go to verse 25. Hear me on this. And Adam knew his wife again. And she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. This is the first time in the Bible, the first time that a man names a baby. Every other time the woman named him, and he names him Enosh, which means in need of God, human frailty, incurable disease. The Hebrew helps you in a world of cultural overflow, humanistic advancement. Set is a voice of contract. He's a contrast. He's a counter-cultural prophet. He says, I see all this going on in the world. And he says, but I'm going to name my son in need of God. The first cry of the gospel. Now, you start understanding the text. And the Bible says they began to call upon the name of the Lord. In Genesis 3, we read about the war of the gospel as the two seeds would collide. But I believe many expositors miss here the cry of the gospel. It is Seth's voice of distinction because there's a stark reality that has taken place. He, please hear this. <coughs> I beg you, hear what I'm about to say. Secular humanism is starting to evolve. As man builds over God's creation, he starts to take credit for his achievements. What does Cain do? What does Cain do? He names his son after secular humanism. He names his son after a city. When you go, I mean, just go out in the world today and you'll see Lincoln Drive, Washington, Ronald Reagan Way. You don't see Colossians or Ephesians. You don't see none of that. You don't see that. You see the world being named after itself, giving itself glory. Nothing changed but the zip code. Nothing Stark reality of secular humanism starting to evolve. This is the beginning of how creation is to be counterfeited. <clears throat> it goes way deeper than human choice. The Bible says be fruitful and multiply. But today that's counterfeited by way of demanding one's right to abortion. Demanding one's right to same-sex marriage. This is a counterfeit of creation. Please hear that. There's something deeper than human choice here. We get it right in Genesis 4. Lamech is saying, 
you protected my brother, you got to protect me. How the gold is turned dim. Come on, guys. This is, this is reality. This is, this is it. Secular humanism on the rise. What about today? If it was on the rise then, what about today? These ideas are deceptively integrated through progressive societies, politically correct enterprises. The demand to be heard just like Lamech. But it's the discerning voice of Seth that sees man's need for God. But today it is so obscure like it's written on the subway halls and the tenement halls. And these are two prevailing voices today that ring true in our society. Lamech, hear my words of arrogance, pride, achievement, big cars, big money, CEO, spend your whole life going to school to be a doctor. I mean, think about this, anything to keep you out of God's word. Anything. Anything. Hear it. You need to hear it, young children. You need to hear it. You need to be countercultural. You'll never have no credibility. Never. The world will chew you up and spit you out. You need to be credible. See, Seth becomes a credible witness. He's a credible witness because he sees, you know, the, the new Mercedes, the new music coming in. He sees the new cultural advances, and he says, I need to be countercultural. Man is in need of God. You won't have no credibility. You won't have it. If you fit right in, you won't have it. I know we want to get the newest cell phones and the newest... Com- I'm not... Please hear me, man. If anybody knows me, I'm the farthest thing from a legalist, man. But I am a realist. And when you hear where I came from, you'll know that I'm a realist. Please hear me on this. I got some credibility. I got some credibility, man. I'm not playing around. This is God. I don't play around with this stuff. I just don't. If anybody knows me, I don't play around with the word. This is serious stuff. The voice of Seth, that man is in need of God, despite how grand things look, it is these two voices between the temporal (coughs) and the eternal that all would either stand or fall. This is a biblical worldview, not the predominant view. We see in the text, at that time, the people began to call upon the name of the Lord. The voice of the elect carried the supremacy of God, the remnant voice that Elijah, when he's hovering in the mountain, the Lord says, man, I got 7,000 that haven't bowed down to Baal. Are we elect voices? Are we countercultural? When, when we walk in a room, do people know who we stand for? See, in that culture, you know, Cain and them, and, you know, they're rising up and naming cities after their sons and this and that. But Seth turns around and says, something's wrong with the picture. That's so hard, man. Come on, God, that's hard. Come on, you know. You know how it is today. We don't have to get married. Let's, you know, just live together and try it out. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I had to speak to a person one time, and, and I, I counseled them on that, and I said, you need to get married. And they said, but we're exclusive. That don't mean nothing. The Bible says you need to be married. 
But, but you see, it's, it's the voice of Lamech demanding one's right that prevails in society today. Young children, hear me. Please, hear me. You're the one that's got to carry this message. You need credibility. Let me tell you something. If I'm a shortstop for the New York Yankees, and if, I, if I'm coming up in the farm system, and Derek Jeter says, that guy can play ball, that gives me credibility. Where is your credibility at? What gives you the credibility to bring the gospel? Challenging for me first. Man, this is me first as a pastor. You second, third, fifth, eleventh, me first. Where's our credibility at? Where is our contrasting voice to the culture? Frank's got me on a time limit. That's not a good thing. The hardest thing for any pastor or teacher of God's word is to give people a biblical worldview, a biblical perspective that should scream louder than any other voice. This worldview, this perspective is not easily discerned to the human mind. In fact, the Bible says it cannot be discerned. It cannot be discerned humanly. It's got to be imparted by the Spirit. And Paul got that impartation on the road to Damascus. But, But think about Paul. And think about the song that Paul Simon sung. But even think about Paul for a second. He labored amongst his planted churches. He wanted them to see the cultural and social lies it exposed in light of the cross and the supremacy of Christ, wanting his people to catch this vision like I want you to catch this vision. Not to hide in a corner, I'm not telling you that. But he wanted the words that were written on the subway walls to be heard like sets. And Paul's voice was not easily discerned and not easily heard even by his own people. He had a dispute with Peter, Barnabas, Mark. There was confusion incarnate. False religious reform in Galatia. Bad eschatology in Thessalonica. People hearing without listening. He was laboring against the Roman government, their Hellenistic ideologies, and the Jewish people who wanted to destroy him at any cost. We've not faced this. But you never know. You tell your next-door neighbor you're a Christian. You tell them how much you love God. How much different are you from them? We have the same flat-screen TVs. We drive the same cars. We got all the top cell phones. Are we credible, man? Are we credible? Me first. Me first. Are we credible? Are we credible? But in all this, Paul had taken heed to what Seth had said many many years before. Despite the many voices in the sin-soaked world, man is in need of God. Man, I love that brother to keep saying amen, man. Man, listen, I'm a Southern Baptist pastor. I mean, man, some of the Baptist churches, and I'm not saying, you'll be preaching and you'll say, oh, good job. Keep going, Pat. Yeah, oh, that was good. You know, I mean, you know how they get. I mean, but I'm telling you. I like this better. I, can, I, I like to, because I'm, I'm, I like to teach God's word. This, this, man, I know, I hope that when you looked at this text this morning or when the brother read it, you must have said, what the heck is this crazy guy going to talk about? Look at Frankie. still look at me like I'm a nut. 
And it's, this is the second time he's heard it. Paul challenged people to be countercultural. He tried to relate that what happened on that cross was a worldwide event. You've got to hear me on this. Don't charge me on this. this is your, oh, I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He's my personal Savior. First of all, you don't even see that in the Bible. You never, you never even see them words in the Bible. Okay. So, unless you can point them out to me there. Okay. Yes, we do have a relationship with God through Christ. It's the only way because he died. He was the substitute. You know why? Because we deserve God's wrath. That's what we're saved from, God's wrath. Because really, God should clip us. That's New York talk for getting killed. <laughs> Basically, God, I don't, know, I don't know why God allows me to get up in the morning. I deserve death. The breath that I have, I borrow it from God. And I'm not paying it back, because how can I? This is countercultural. I owe my life to the one who put his life on the cross for me. I deserve death. I deserve hell. And I don't deserve a dish of macaroni on Sunday. That's what Italians do on Sunday. We eat macaroni. Right, Rachel? Where is she? She's, she's going to kill me later. The cross is so much more. See, we domesticate the cross. That cross is going to bring every sin, everything that's against God is going to be eaten up by that cross someday. Everything that opposes God is going to be satisfied on that cross. The stuff that we love, the stuff that we cherish... I tell my congregation all the time, in this life, what you see is what you don't get. The Bible, the Bible says, eye has not seen, right sister? Ear has not heard, the heart not imagined what God has in store for the people who, he, who love him. You can't picture it. Lamech can't deal with it. Cain doesn't know nothing about it. Hubel doesn't know. Havel doesn't know. Man, this is like a workout up and I like that. All right, I'll relax. I love this stuff, man. Listen, if you can't tell, this is my life, man. This is my, see, you can't fool around with this stuff. You know what Martin Luther says? If you're going to sin, sin hard. Don't soft stroke this stuff. Martin Luther says, if you're going to sin, just sin, man. Don't sit on no fence. It's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. Now I got their attention, right, Frank? I'm on kidding. Second Timothy, Paul's last will and testament. And I'll tell you a little bit about myself. I promise, Frank, I would. I feel a little more comfortable now. Before, I was like falling all over the place because, man, they, you know, Southern Baptists, they got you these nice podiums and they're wood and, you know, they're strong. You know, you can lean over. And if I lean here, I'll go tumbling down and be part of the, this wonderful scenery we have here. Listen to these words of Paul. 
Okay, I'm going to challenge you. You guys, okay, I, I can't expect you to understand the Genesis 4 text. That's not fair. But hopefully you do now. But you should understand this text. And if you don't, you're going to understand it in a second. Now listen to Paul's words here. Listen to what he says. Last will and testament. Ready to get his head chopped off. Chop, this is what he's awaiting. Nero's going to chop his head off. Here's what he says. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Now, the present tense verb in the Greek, poured out, represents Paul's certainty that his blood will be poured out as a drink offering before God. He would become a sacrifice before the living God as history points and says he, his head was removed by Caesar Nero around 63 or 64 A.D. <coughs> what Paul tells Timothy, he's fought the good fight. The fight has been a struggle, but it's without vindication. He would obtain the incorruptible crown that had been kept for him by the righteous judge of the universe, Jesus Christ, how's he countercultural? What he's saying is Caesar is not Lord. This Roman court does not have the last say. Wow. Now, think about that. If you know anything about the, 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 the Roman history and Pax Romana and the Caesars and the pinching of the incense and bread and circus... Paul is basically saying, listen, Caesar, you are not Lord. Your court does not have the last say. I am being vindicated by a higher court. That's countercultural. That's a bold statement in those days. Not easy, brother. This stuff is not easy. This is not, you know, and he's not, Caesar's not giving him a pardon. And he's like spitting in Caesar's face and saying, it doesn't matter, you're giving me a pardon, you're still... No, Caesar's chopping his head off. And he's saying, you know what? You are not Lord. I think Jesus says, fear the one that can not only kill the body, but send the soul to hell. He, Frank, went to a higher court. He went to the highest court. And his vindication is not in Caesar. He's not in the Roman government. <clears throat> and Seth, when, he, when his child came and he says, Wife, hold on. You will not name this baby. Great text for complementarism, Frank. I'll keep it in your watch pocket. Keep it there. But Seth, as the spiritual leader of the family, says, Woman, hold off. I'm naming this son Enosh. In need of God. I'll be out of your way. Let me check my time. Oh, you guys are you, you guys are in trouble. It's I got about ten minutes. There's a bold statement in that era of history where Pax Romana ruled, 
but it is a biblical perspective that is lost today, deeming that the world and all its powers are subject to a higher court. Now listen to this. Not the court of Caesar, not the Supreme Court of the United States, but truth and vindication comes from the heavenly court, and I thank God for that. Because on April 20th, 1992, I was sentenced by the Eastern District of New York to do 20 years in prison. I was arrested coming off my honeymoon. Everybody looked up. You see that? As soon as, as soon as I said that, everybody looked up. If they were looking, checking their texts or whatever, they looked right up. As soon as I said prison, they looked right up. Good. I was arrested coming off my honeymoon in April of 90 and would not see the streets of this world till September 2009, for which I stand before you today. You see, I was the one listening to the voice of Cain. I was the one who loved the exploits of what criminal ingenuity could gain. I was arrested for conspiracy to distribute cocaine, and for the first 14 years or so of my time in prison, I was embellished in the world of Lamech. I was a bookmaker behind bars and, and had many connections and couldn't wait to get out and continue to adhere to the voice of Lamech. But, after 14 years of prison, I decided to go to a dentist and have him whiten my teeth. I mean, why would a prisoner want to get his teeth? I mean, come on. I mean, what am I thinking? I'm going to, like, seduce a prison guard or something to lose her job? I mean, here I am. This is how vain I was. This is how I was... I'm saying, wow, I, I heard about these white strips on TV, and I started manipulating one of the down. I don't even know, I don't know white strips from a cold bowl of soup. I, I don't even know what they were. But I seen him on TV, and I told the dentist, and he says, all right, Dominic, I'll do, we'll do a case study. But it was all, and meanwhile, somebody told on me. Imagine somebody telling on me in prison. They told on me, and I went in the hole. I was locked up for 23 hours a day, and I started reading First and Second Kings. And I started seeing a God that manipulated kings and took this king against that king and this. And I says, man, I'm serving the wrong people. Because in my life, whoever was in power, that's who I wanted to serve. And in that day, when I started reading, and I said to myself, my name is no longer Dominic. My name is in Enosh. I'm in need of God. Man, this is a lively crew, Frank. I like that. Amens and everything. Man, it's like a Southern Baptist church. I like that. In need of God. Now, now, 14 years of my first 14 years, I lived a life of Lamech, even in prison. But there was a time I had to come and get out of the hole. And in my old life, if Italians have like a religious experience or something, the next thing they think you do and you're going to the grand jury and starting to put people in prison. But I had 14 years in at the time. And I was pretty well known in my neighborhood. So when I had it, I had to go speak to the Caesar of the United States Penitentiary, Leavenworth. And this man had some power. This is not no fake stuff. This is not the stuff you see on television. This is real live stuff. And I was scared to death. I'm going to tell you right now. You talk about being countercultural, I was scared to death. I went in and I spoke to my friend and I says, man, listen. I says, man, I think God's got a calling on my life. 
I don't know what happened when I was in that hole. And he looked at me, and he says, kid, he said, if this is some emotional experience, he says, you come back. He says, but you do me a favor. He says, don't let me answer to anybody in this prison. Come down once in a while at the table. He says, if, if this is what you're saying, he says, I respect it. And I'm thinking about the God that could, not only could he maneuver kings, he could maneuver crime bosses to be kind to the elect voice that he was going to use in prison. And for that next six years or five years, all I did was study God's word, read his word, study the original languages, commentaries. Nikki will tell you, I mean, my cousin Cheryl, my family must have sent me $10,000 worth of books. Every time, send me this commentary. My brother says, man, I can't wait till you get out. You're costing me a fortune. But after about two years, that same person came up to me and he says, hey, kid, what'd you teach today? What'd you preach? I gained credibility. I gained credibility in the subculture behind the walls of prison. They watched me. You can't be a fake Christian in prison, man. You get up, you see the same people 24-7. You know how they brush their teeth. You know people who don't brush their teeth. But I'm saying, but I'm, you know everything about everybody. And after two or three years, he came up to me and he said, what'd you teach today? What'd you preach? I got credibility. My validation came from without. Do you know the Bible says that we're, we're, we're stereotyped as evildoers, Frank? That's what the Bible says. We're we have to reverse the stereotype. I'm going to close in a second because Frank is going to start roping me out of here. Oh, oh two minutes, three minutes. <coughs> 22 months before I came home, I was in the, the most secure prison in the world, uh, the United States Penitentiary in Victorville. I wasn't there for any, I was a Christian. Christians never do anything wrong, so I didn't get in no trouble. But I'm only kidding. But I didn't get in no trouble at that time. I, I was just waiting to go to another prison. So... It was a very secure prison. I told him in the first service, remember Get Smart? You guys are too young for Get Smart. Remember Get Smart, Don Adams? And not, I know you guys used to look at Barbara Feldon and stuff. Agent 99, she was like my favorite. Sorry, Rachel, but it was just a, a crush when I was a kid. Remember he used to talk on the phone. But when he used to go to his office, he'd go down these corridors. You guys are too young. But Victorville was a very, very secure, the most secure prison in the, in the federal system. I was on my way to a faith-based program to finish out my time, and I called my mother on the phone, and I says, Ma, I need a birth certificate. I don't know if my cousin Cheryl remembers. And my mother told me, your birth certificate got burned up. You don't have a birth certificate. Italians are dramatic. We're emotional. You know that. I mean, I don't have to tell you that. Don't laugh. You guys know if you've been around Italians. But I was really sad that I felt like I didn't have an identity. I was locked up 23 hours a day. My celly was taking a shower. I was on the phone. I got off the phone. I got on my knees, and I says, Lord, I don't even have an identity. I don't even have a birth certificate. The Lord pressed in my spirit. I never forget. I will give you back the years that the canker worm is taken. The palmer worm is destroyed, and the caterpillar has chopped up. I will give you back them years. 
I met a guy named Chaplain Berg, graduated from Regent Seminary under the fine teachings of Dr. J.I. Packer, Gordon Fee, Mark Blomberg. I mean, fine. He took a liking to me the last 20 months. He fed me with theology books. I preached under his, his uh, ministry in prison. And, and I am about six, five semesters away from my Masters of Divinity. I'm a senior pastor at the First Southern Baptist Church in Black Canyon City. God gave me credibility. I came home, I sat under uh, a First Southern Baptist Church in Scottsdale under Do Barry, Dr. Barry Norwood. They licensed me in a year. They thought I was some crazy John the Baptist preacher. They probably couldn't wait to get rid of me because any Bible study I would teach and preach and, and I dripped this stuff because you know what? I was on my way to hell, man. You see, when, when you know that you're in need of God, and you know that you're on your way to hell and that God gives you a breath and gives you a, a hole to sit in and gives you a prison and supplies a Bible that he, I don't deserve and that when I read that Bible, he changed my heart and my mind and my affections. How can I not want to serve this living God lest I become disqualified. I like when everybody's quiet. He gave me eyes to see what I never saw. He gave me the knowledge that Seth saw so many years ago that I need, <coughs> needed God. <coughs> I mentioned that the outset predestination means God was thinking about me way before I was thinking about him. Who was the first missionary on the scene? The Hebrew tells us that Adam and Eve hid separately. I don't know if you know that. People think they hid together. They hid separately. Who was the first missionary on the scene? Adam, where art thou? He comes running after his people, man. Thank God for that. Let me pray God providences, his kind providences upon you be as kind to you as he was to me. Let me pray the providences of God. May they be kind to you in this coming new year. May he open up doors that no man can shut. And may you be able to preach the gospel as credible witnesses in a lost and dying world. Dear Lord, we love you and honor you. We thank you, Lord, for for you, we thank you for your son. I pray for the sweet providences of God to fall upon this congregation, to, to let them know that you're alive, to let them know that you do things that no one else can do because you are sovereign over this world. I pray for my brother Frank that every week he brings a message from you, Lord, and not from him. I pray that he speaks into people's lives through the living, active word of God, through the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit. And I pray, Lord, <coughs> and thank you for another year, another breath, and another day to say, I love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. God bless you. Thank you so much.